0: listeners uh apologies for the delayed episode but uh this is your uh escape from plan a for uh this week mid-july deep into the summer uh jess uh is with me it's just the two of us how's it going jess
1: it's going all right yep yep i've been on Um, hangover duty for my parents they've been partying for a while
0: yeah, I I I assume because of uh <laughs> what uh what, let's just get right into it. There's no no <laughs> need to no need to beat around the bush. Of course, uh we are talking about uh the assassin, well, I think that this pod is prompted by uh the rather insane event that happened uh when when was it? Was it last last Thursday? Private? Last Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. We're talking of course about the uh, assassination of the former Japanese prime minister Shinzo Abe which is, you know, everyone has heard about it in the news or whatever. And I don't think we're going to offer too much in the way of, like, breaking down the event itself. I think there's plenty of, you know, reporting about it. And, you know, I, I have no insight into anything more than just what I'm reading on the Internet. So, Jess, I, I don't know if you if you want to talk about the event itself, but I think the basic facts are pretty clear, right? It seems like it was... a. Uh, uh, some some 42 year old uh japanese male former self defense force iex military guy who seemed to have a grudge against abe for his uh perceived connection to um the was it called the unification church the moonies right mm-hmm. yeah um unclear what that connection was or whether or, or what his grudge was i think they hinted at something about you know his mother having been bankrupted by uh her sort of devotion to the mooney church i thought i don't know I, I a lot of this stuff to me is like you know how 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 uh how reliable was the reporting after the assassination of like jfk or whatever it's probably super confused and i don't i don't know how much signal we're getting at anything right now but yeah uh, if it's
1: not politically expedient, I don't actually expect too much more detail to to come out of this, at least mm-hmm. in the English press. So yeah. I'm not actually holding my breath on this one, especially if it starts implicating like complicated, you know, Japan South Korea relations. Yeah. Uh, they're really going to want to keep a lid on that because these yeah. two countries are. I mean, a lot of the tension is these two countries are being forced to uh, forced into an uneasy position because the big tiger that they want to go after is China. Mm-hmm. So they're going to want to keep all mention of this this bubbling, you know, this this steaming mess under control. It's a, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of the story itself. If you take a step back, it's like it's like too too fiction for fiction. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is this is this is a church, the Unification Church, um, that his grandfather, notorious you know World War II war criminal, literal war criminal Nobusuke Kishi, uh, founded along with Sun Myung Moon in, in South Korea, with a lot. Oh, of I did money. not
0: know that his grandfather yeah. co-founded it. Really? Yeah.
1: Okay. I, uh, I don't know. know. Mm. Like uh, maybe co-founded. Was involved, it, in it. Mm. involved in the very earliest stages. Like he and Sun Myung Moon were were tight. Mm-hmm. So um they 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 definitely had a big hand in pushing the development and advancement of this church in both mm-hmm. you know South Korea and Japan and it extended across the world from that um from that point on too. Mm-hmm. Um like we have a connection right in the US right now. Uh Hunter Biden once uh, back in like 2006 was trying to buy a um a hedge fund called Paradigm that was uh that was run by the Unification Church. <laughs> Yeah, the reporting did, on that.
0: Have you? Did you see any of the videos that came out from that hack? I did. Uh, Holy hack?
1: shit! What?
0: Dude, he's I... <laughs> he's not a tourist. I mean, he likes himself some crack. He likes himself some bitches. That guy. I mean, is not you know, a tourist.
1: It's... His degeneracy
0: I... is real. <laughs> like he's so fucking degenerate. It's
1: disturbing. Have you seen yeah. the pictures of him with clearly like children, like young girls? Thankfully,
0: thankfully I've not seen that. Um, Yeah,
1: I mean, like, dude, like, come, come, come on! What is going on here? We need some answers, please. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) okay. But that's that's our connection to this. It's, that's really just I mean, that's its own ball of, of wax that we got to figure out at some point. Uh, but my only point bringing that up was that we have a connection to it at the highest reaches of power in the United States as well. So this this just got everywhere. This is a deep this is a big organization, probably with um, probably akin to like the reach that Scientology has.
0: Yeah, but is it okay? But I uh, setting the moon, the the UC stuff aside, like I don't, I don't. It, it's that that's a whole kettle of fish that I I just don't have any insight into. But yeah, same um, here.
1: I don't. I know very little about it.
0: Yeah, and but I, I the thing that interests me about this event was just like the discussion. It was not so much the event itself. Um, you know, the assassination of a foreign PM. Just it's just not. I don't, I don't. I don't know what to make of it. But it was more like the the uh, discussion that it kicked off on the parts of Twitter that I pay attention to, which is like this mix of sort of like A- Asian diaspora English Twitter that, you know, is very focused on both the experience of diaspora in the West, in America in particular, as well as keeping... Very close tabs on what's going on in Asia, and mm-hmm. uh, this very strange, uh, or not—I wouldn't say strange, but like this very heated uh, d- d- debate or just conversation around how to react to sh- to this, this this event, and also like what people's attitudes about Japan are. Mm-hmm. And sort of just the centrality of Japan as like a concept that is very central to uh, a lot of Asian people, uh, including uh, Asian Americans. And that's just unexpected. I did not really expect that th- this event, that Shinzo Abe of all people, who I always thought of as sort of a wallflower, I, you know, he's not like the most outspoken on the international mm-hmm. stage anyway uh would bring out so much intensity and passion when it came to the online discussion do you know what i mean i don't know if you saw that as well but
1: i did um i thought one thing was was really curious cuz i had seen the headlines and then uh and then, and then me being being uh being a terminally online person just hopped on twitter to get the scoop like the on the ground scoop on that stuff uh it took a while to even see that the assassin was japanese himself that was the crazy part about it because the first reactions that i saw were from american like diaspora you know like asian like public figure ish people um media media class people who were talking about what the chinese were saying about it
0: oh yeah yeah i think uh what what was that guy's name i forgot one of them was saying like uh Hey, we got to start asking tough questions about the CCP. Is anyone following up with the CCP? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They like the, the Jap- the- were saying that like Japanese social media was a lot of, you know, sort of like there was a lot of uh, inflammatory shit about how it was probably, a, you know, a, a Korean resident of Japan that had done this yeah. because no Japanese would have done something this horrible and just very nasty, you know, sort of like, hey probably the chinese and japanese did this you know or chinese and koreans did this
1: you yeah know. i mean i mean they're talking about the zainichi koreans ethnic zainichi, koreans yeah. some mm-hmm. of whom have been in japan for hundreds of years at this point like not kidding hundreds of years and still do not have japanese citizenship because they're scapegoated for japanese.
0: fucking everything yeah. from what i understand
1: yeah so when they're saying that it's it's oh it's probably a korean they're not even talking about like koreans from korea they're talking about you know ethnic koreans who have been in japan for hundreds of years that's how deep this shit goes so in all of that it's more i saw more criticism of how the chinese like how the chinese uh like chinese netizens were reacting to this what the koreans were saying about it it took a while to figure out that the guy who actually shot him was himself a japanese guy yeah um so that was telling right so we're talking about a domestic an internal a domestic issue inside japan Uh, Once you unpack, like, if you understand a little bit of Abe's legacy as a PM and the social conditions, economic conditions inside Japan, you can kind of piece it together why people, why he was not universally loved inside this country.
2: For sure. His
1: own country. So you can kind of get that sense. But from the outside, you would not see that at all. From the way people react, it's like it just came out of freaking nowhere. And everyone was responsible other than the one who actually shot the gun. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very bizarre, like psychological, like, like, like sleight of hand, where it almost seems like, like, like somebody, like, it, it's you, you you're mad at the Chinese people somehow for Abe getting assassinated by an, a fellow Japanese person.
2: Yeah,
0: I think, I think that the reaction that it doesn't puzzle me, but it's always interested me is you get a lot of, like, sort of these white American. Uh, weebs for lack of a better word but basically like white Americans who are very very pro Japan uh, and sort of like as but in a way that tracks like the worst of Japan's attitudes towards Koreans and Chinese in particular so you get a lot of like weebs online who are like very pro Japan and at the same time uh, deeply xenophobic and also, you know, wishing that Koreans would just get over it, so to speak. You know, and of course, I'm talking about the issue of World War II atrocities. And what I think is a very horrible euphemism the quote, comfort women. I don't know where we started using that phrase, but it doesn't quite capture what was going on. Um, but I, I, it just started me down this path of realization that, There is, and this is, you know, Jess, you talk a lot. I want, uh, let's get into this because you talk about this a lot. You said, I think recently that, you know, Asian American history should begin at the point in which the West and Asia first made contact, meaning that um, we can't just start with like the Chinese railroad workers or whatever. Uh, That living as an Asian person in America is informed by, you're saying like sort of the deep history of, uh, the West and Asia, sort of as geographical, you know, for like, geographical or civilizational uh, parts of the globe, like living yeah. within the the, the 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 interface of those two things, right? Yeah, Even- a
1: living region that has conflict, tension, dynamism, uh, a culture, and a history, um, and a, and a trajectory through time. Right. None of Mm -hmm. that is really present, you know, Asian American history. And maybe this is true of all of all of the all of this. um, It's akin to like a really bad creation myth. Right. If we started at just the railroad workers, it's literally like we just kind of came out of nowhere and started started bashing some railroad, you know, rails together.
2: Mm -hmm. And that's it. Yeah
1: because it doesn't start in asia it starts in america it's just trying to put some some flimsy language around explaining how we found ourselves in this position for one thing my ancestors were not the railroad workers mine my history in this country starts over a century after that right i'm not chinese how does that explain how does that explain me as a as a history right this is it's insisting on that is it's a it's a myth we're trying to create a myth that almost deracinates, strips away, strips away an understanding of a people as a as an actual race of people with history and tradition. And so, all we get is a story that we just dropped here as a labor force. I don't really even like uh, the particularly like uh, uh, like leftist, and by that I mean like a more labor based understanding of uh, of race relations and like race history in America. I think it explains race relations quite well. I don't like it as a race history uh, because that strips it down to. Um, Just units of labor that have moved across, you know, that have moved across oceans, there isn't enough to sustain like human spirit in in that kind of narrative either. But all of that kind of gets resolved if you say, oh, okay, what was going on in China at the time? Right. What was going what was at that what was at that tectonic plate of Asia and the West colliding for the first time? What happened there and why did that trigger trigger the the outflows of immigration that it did? That explains who we are much better. But there's this like real insistence on refusing to actually start that to start that history where it belong, where it actually geographically and temporally belongs.
0: I think that's right, because I think that there's an obsession uh, with, quote, centering Asian American you know, narratives or history. And uh, the truth, I think, is that, you know, we don't necessarily shouldn't necessarily center it because I think we should put it in context, right? Like the existence of the Asian diaspora in the West is largely sort of like a an outgrowth of much larger of a much larger history and narrative. Of, you know, Western relations with Asia, like through colonialism, through the you know through the modern international trade system, all this stuff, and the diaspora itself is just sort of like a is a uh, outgrowth of that, right? It's a it's a result of that that dynamic that that much larger history that's going on, and the way that I thought. Abe and Japan and sort of like this unresolved issue of Japan's role in World War II and sort of Japan's uh, imperial fascist history. It was Nazi Germany's ally in World War II. It committed atrocities on the scale of what the Germans, the Nazi Germans did. Uh, And yet they're considered our closest ally uh, in Asia. And I Mm -hmm. think that since most, you know, there's not much in the way of Japanese diaspora in America. And the ones that are are here, I think predate the Japanese empire. Um, And for the most part, the notion of like a fascist Japan almost doesn't really register in the United States. Like, you know, like the prevalence of the imperial flag with the rays, like Mm -hmm. that's not seen as a problematic flag or symbol in the United States. And Japan is largely seen as a pacifist uh, liberal democracy, like living within the, you know, sort of present political parameters of the United States, whereas the rest of Asia is sort of backwards and oriental. It just makes it, I don't know, the whole... I know this is a very unstructured way of going about this, but it's such a big topic. And I know like Japan is always, you and I, when we talk about stuff like Japan always comes up. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
0: this is part of it is that Japan's true nature, I think is not well understood in the United States. The diaspora retains some knowledge of it, but I think we tend to also eventually go along with the U.S. perception of Japan. And Japan has its own sort of self-serving narrative as to, who and what they really are, and that is a is quite in opposition to say what Koreans think of Japan and what Chinese think of Japan, and that's a huge topic. It's a very important one. And Abe's death reignited and re, you know sort of put focus on, onto this. Um, I don't know. Help me out, Jess. I feel like I, I don't know a way into this other than to say I feel like there's just not a lot of understanding. <laughs> among
1: there's a lot of ignorance there's yeah. a lot of ignorance we can start from one layer right we like uh we're we, we are i think we can understand ourselves as like asians in america right we we can also understand ourselves as a- americans in america if we were to go to asia or anywhere else we would be americans in asia or in europe or whatever right so like we're here in america we're talking to primarily a western audience I mean, we're doing this in english We're crying out loud um not that I would be able to do it in any other language, honestly. Um, so let's start at the topmost level, right? The it, the information we can, we can most easily ingest and the opinions that we are most primarily exposed to, right? So that's our country, the Western media, in close alignment with the U.S. security state and the military-industrial complex, right? So we can understand the issue from that perspective. What is their interest, right? Well, their interest is, one, um, I mean, after World War II, it was subjugating subjugating this uh, subjugating Japan, right? Making sure you know it was it was thoroughly defeated, but then also building it up as a as a as a regional as a regional power, right? Um, and then more recently, uh, engaging it as a close ally, a close almost peer ally in containing uh, what we see as the bigger threat, which is China. Right, so if we know that, then we can kind of understand how we would how the media establishment would be treating a figure like Shinzo Abe, who was very sympathetic to those goals, even to the point where he was willing to uh to risk his own country's domestic uh domestic conditions um, in order to better to to seek a closer alliance. Not to say he sold his country out. I don't like that concept uh personally. Not to say he sold out his country, but that he had a long-term plan that uh, did not exactly center the Japanese people's best interests in the moment, right? He was banking on uh, re-mil- he wanted to remilitarize Japan. Uh, he had imperial ambitions, that's for sure, him and the and the party that he represented um. So he was willing to he was willing to play along he, like after the great financial crisis, he was willing to he was willing to uh, oversee a Japan that was going to be printing money uh, at, and stagnating Japanese domestic economy f- to prop up the U.S. dollar, um, sought military contracts to expand Japan's military uh, and then was counting on mil- probably counting on expansionism in the in Asia to like balance the books back again in Japan's favor domestically um that's 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 in the u.s's favor why wouldn't we speak highly of this guy
0: yeah and i you know it he's, you you pointed out this article in the atlanta called shinzo Abe made the world better by david from of all people um <laughs> and you know r- right off the that bat guy, man. You know, he, he yeah. mentions um there was a book called the japan that can say no uh, mm-hmm. He says, The Japan I Can Say No was the title of a once-famous book by a once-rising Japanese politician. I think that, that was back in like the 80s or 90s. Well, right? It's a 1989
1: essay. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, co- it's co-authored. Um, one of them is Shintaro Ishihara, who was Ministry, Minister of Transport and also in the LDP. Um, and the Sony co-founder and, and at that time the chairman. Akio Morita, so high level figures, not easily dismissible. Um, so what they what they were what they wanted to accomplish with this, uh, like kind of a manifesto, I guess. Um, it's a it's a critical examination of the faults of uh, of the United States' business practices and how it has historically demeaned Japanese corporations. So historically treated the Japanese as a like a a subordinate, a younger, a a disrespected uh, younger brother, basically. And what they really wanted to push for is they wanted to push for Japan take being coming more independent. So all the way from business to foreign affairs. So Japan can no. The Japan that can say no, what they're saying is that the Japan that can say no to the United States. So to United exercise
0: States- a measure of sovereignty that they haven't had since yes, the end sovereignty. of World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So to control over their military, control over their businesses so they don't mm-hmm. have to do – they don't have to get permission from the U.S. to uh, to start a, a foundry or something like that, stuff like that. There's an interesting one. There's a there's another book called China Can Say No in the yes. similar vein that was published yes. in 1996. Uh, I kind of I kind of want to read that one too.
0: Yeah, the next sentence from From said then Shinzo Abe, the former Japanese prime minister who was assassinated earlier today, bequeaths a much prouder legacy. A Japan that can and does say
1: yes. <laughs> these are an incredible two sentences. I don't actually yeah. need to know anything else about the media establishment treats him because these two sentences just sum it up. Right. Mm. So if he's if he's being of is being praised for saying yes, uh and and that's a 180 from the Japan that can say no to the US, what is he being praised for, right? Mm-hmm. for being in lockstep being a, a good little brother to the United States's foreign policy goals in that yeah. region
0: he he goes on this is a very interesting article he says I mean well, interesting in that it's revealing of the kind of you know thinking that yes, idiots revealing. like from have right I think from is a very basic thinker here but Abe is often described as a nationalist he deserves to be remembered instead as one of the great internationalists of his era, the leading architect of collective security in the Indo-Pacific region. Throughout four U.S. presidencies of Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden, Abe sought to secure Japan's position against China by building alliances and institutions. And I think, so So he's setting this up, I think, in a very simplistic way to say that the new world order would be this sort of like U.S.-led, international system that was going to contain china the way that same system came together to defeat the soviet union before its time right and that abe was a big contributor to this uh, uh to this effort to this global effort um to shut down china and shut down communism i think is the framing that he's trying to give here and abe should not be seen as a nationalist but as a uh internationalist in that he helped us do this as one of our critical partners in you know in this new cold war, would you agree with that? i think that's kind of the framing that he's giving to this i to this mean I, actually, I
1: agree with the uh, i agree with i actually agree with his his assessments It's pretty simple but yeah he's he was more of an internationalist than a nationalist i think his long term goals were definitely hyper nationalist um uh, uh, but you know, his his administration was about creating that kind of security alliance that he could leverage to regain for Japan to regain a shadow of its imperial glory. Yeah, but it's it had com- not been quite accomplished at that point.
0: But he—it's a see—it's interesting because I think he's a very—it's very, it's very um, kind of self contradictory in a way, right? Or it's very he can cut both ways because. Then there's this New Yorker article you and I had looked at called, by Isaac Chotner called How Shinzo Abe Sought to Rewrite Japanese History. And Chotner interviews, um, I think, a professor of... Who did he... He he, he was interviewing someone, right? Um, who was she? At Alexis Dudden? Alexis Dudden, professor, professor of history... Of history at University of Connecticut, who specializes in modern Japan and Korea. And I think Dudden gave answers that uh, or was painting a portrait of Shinzo Abe as you know a war crime denier, as someone who was devoted to the uh, restoration of the Japanese empire and sort of like the lost greatness of the Japanese empire. That he was pushing for repeal of Article Nine and uh, a rewriting of the Japanese Constitution, uh, so that it would allow Japan to have a military again, right? Um, in, in, well, and- I mean,
1: that's a that's a. I- japan has a military a very yeah. a very well stocked well funded well trained military yeah. it's just Huge a bit Navy. of a fig leaf that yeah. we call it a self defense force so nominally they're not allowed they're only allowed to be defensive they cannot and they have to stay in their own territory with very limited exceptions but the capability is basically there
0: yeah it's it's kind of a signal right to the rest mm-hmm. of asia to say this is you know we're not uh it's a repeal. It seems to be not so much, okay, we can finally build ourselves some ships, but to say that, uh, Japan is now no longer is, is now going to be able to, uh, uh, do preemptive, let's say preemptive things with their military. Yeah. They're going to become It's a, it's a signal to the rest of the world. And it's China in particular, that Japan is going to become a lot more aggressive militarily. Right.
1: Yeah. You can see it like the hints of that in other, you know, flattering obituaries or, you know, I don't know these are obituaries or just like letters like praise articles for him after like talking about how he sought a Japan that could pursue its own interests more aggressively. Like that's a that same wage war. Mm-hmm. That's that's all that is. So it's kind of like 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 you go like okay, you, you go to a park and you see this like like this dog that's very agitated and you know it's got it's built, right? You can you can tell that this dog can do some damage, but it's on a leash. So you think, okay, all right, at least that dog is on a leash. Article repealing article 9 is like that leash snapping.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? right. Not not necessarily say, like not saying that dog will attack anybody necessarily, but you have definitely seen that it has attacked in the past. It ha- clearly has the capability to do it and now the like n- now, you know, the last a uh, bit of restraint it has on that action has now been removed. Right. right? This is a, that would be a massive escalation in well, the region.
0: What I think is interesting though is like how the there's I I do think that uh, the American planners are worried about uh, Abe and this very hard right faction of the LDP in Japan uh, trying to remilitarize because, like you said, if the leash comes off, the Americans do lose a measure of a good measure of control over Japan and it's only i think the most rabid sinophobes in the US that would be excited about the prospect of the of Japan turning into an attack dog against China but i think more long range thinkers i think look at abe and think wait this is a this is kind of a nightmare for us too right because if we if if i don't think i think they understand that abe is not pro american fundamentally and yeah. i think that under and i think people who understand japan a bit better I think realize that while uh I think Japan has strategic uh issues and 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 fears about China and Korea uh it 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 I think and correct me if tell me what you think but I think that that the deepest resentments among the Japanese hard right is actually towards the United States.
1: I that's and- absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. This is why. Uh, this is why uh, I never like the rhetoric of uh, you know when when uh, people talk about it, when particularly Asian Asian diaspora talk about the the homeland. What I really hate the most is an uncritical assessment that Asia is uh, white worshipping or, or subjugate you know willingly subjugated to white supremacy something like right. that. Right. You know what I'm talking about. This impression. Yeah,
0: it's not hard to. I mean, it is it, it, it is a it is a, a intuitive thing to say when people say stuff like Japan is a mere vassal state of the United States.
1: Yeah. But it, um,
0: but but that doesn't necessarily follow. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm saying it, It's useful up to a limit. And you have to know where that limit is. Otherwise, stuff that happens below and above that line just simply stop making sense. And you're going to have to you know think on your feet to work that out. Yeah. Um, I don't like the uncritical assessment that okay Asians have just been whipped so badly by the West that we're just lapdogs dogs to to uh, Western countries you know aka white countries uh, which carries through in our relationships with in our relations with white people um uh, and there's very little distinction made once we get to that kind of discourse between um, like people like us right like Asians in America in these western citizens of these countries, brought up raised and living in these countries and asians in asia right so you know you see a lot of people talking about oh you go to like shanghai and people will fall over fall over themselves to be nice to like a white guy because he can say you know ni hao or something uh right like asia's just whipped um once you start talking about asia like that you have now gone completely off the rails, in my opinion because you now you can you have no ability to see things like like nippon kaigi right in japan um a a very powerful uh political faction that is determined to restore imperial glory to japan this is a fuck you to everybody except japanese Mm -hmm. how do you explain that if you if you want to and these are powerful people right so you're simultaneously um calling this entire uh region of the earth completely subjugated to white supremacy how do you explain that
0: well, the danger too concerned. is if you explain to them. So the the Nippon Ka, uh, Kaigi, I think, is a formally it's like a lobbying group or something like that, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's really, I a military think, cult. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, look, here's the thing: like, you got to think of you. You've got to... there is a very close relationship between Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany. They were allies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a shared. Uh, they had a shared goal for like world domination and um i think they had very similar internal politics and that the nippon Kaiigi, you know people here's the thing one of the one of the things that is most controversial as everyone knows is that the hard right in japan i don't want to say everyone in japan because i think japan of the 90s was different they were moving towards some notion of reconciliation i think with the kono statement at least you know in the in in the 90s um which i think um acknowledged uh quote comfort women uh in korea Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: that and, and abe had worked hard to um call that statement into question um by investigating it for political bias and things like that. But the point being that a lot of people will say that this amounts to Holocaust denialism, right? That mm-hmm. the position of the hard right in Japan and anyone else, and I see this very common in the US. I see a lot of people just saying, you know, I think it's, you, you cannot hold people accountable for things that happened, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago. So why don't you just get over it, right? Right. Um, I see this a lot, and I would say, yeah, that, I
1: dare you to go say that in Israel.
0: I dare you. Yeah, exactly. Well, people will say, well, you know, I don't see any Jewish people hating Germans. You know, I'll say, okay, th- these are not bad. F- these are all uh, uh, arguments in bad faith that I don't even want to bother addressing. But the point is that there is a degree to which you can say, and I think people commonly say that this is Holocaust denialism. But the nippon kaigi is actually even worse than that. Right, I mean, ha- ha- atrocity denialism is part of it, but they, they go even further to say that no, we actually want to restore the Japanese Empire. So this would be going to not only did the Nazis, uh, you know, are the Nazi atrocities overstated or flat out fabricated, but we want to restore the Nazi, we want to restore the Third Reich.
1: Yes, we want to continue. There was, their – the denialism is just a temporary, like, like a thin cover for as a political expediency, given the moment, right? Their real position is that those are not crimes. Those are deeds to be proud of as yes. Japanese people, and they should be pursued more aggressive. That should be happening more.
0: Yes, this, this goes beyond just saying like, oh, the gr- we want to restore greatness. This also is a historical revisionism because they their, their position all along has been that Japan is the unsung and misunderstood hero and liberator of Asia, right? Because like during World War II, they really believed, you know, the funny thing about this whole, uh, you know, thing is that Japan is the nation that was most advocating this idea of Pan-Asianism. You know, we talk about Asian Americans, like where did this notion of Asians come from? Oh, well, it was created in a in a in a campus during '60s activism, when we first thought of this idea that Asian people had some sort of racial connection among each other, no, I, the Japanese came up with this too with their pan Asianism, right? Well, that and was they a, were, that
1: was a PR pitch,
0: yeah. And they said, so really- you know, even I think Abe and and others have have said that, you know, actually when the Japanese defeated the uh, Soviet Union, uh, or was it, or was it the Russian Empire at that time, Russian? Russia down by 1905, right? Yeah, that that when Japan, you know, defeated a white country uh, in a war, that that was a uh, rallying event and a, and a and an inspirational event for um, all of the world's for the global South. I think he said, or for the for the Third World, it inspired the world <laughs> that Japan's military conquests uh, from the Early 20th century through World War II was done on behalf of Asian people and African people. <laughs> this
1: it was a civilizing that- mission, so they yeah. borrowed from you know they brought, borrowed from from uh, the United Kingdom at that point, the British empire rhetoric. And also, I mean, it's not even world war two. If we take it back to the 18, I think it was 1870s. This was Japan's entire push to, um, in establishing diplomatic ties to the U S and to Europe. That was their pitch. And for the most part, and for the, most. um, Diplomats and politicians in the in the U.S. and Europe agreed with them. They signed off on Japan having de facto ownership and control over Asia. So, and that's that's an interesting part too. Like I've never seen an Asian American history uh, start with like the Ishihara mission right a diplomatic mission with an actual japanese like crown prince in the 1870s i think i think just after like like the civil war in the u.s um it was like a two-year-long mission where a, a a very prestigious cohort of diplomats toured the us and europe and met with dignitaries all along the way and their entire their entire goal for this was to basically seek goodwill for japan's conquest of asia to prove to the west that they were the rightful um the rightful i guess owners rulers of this region and to start to start building japan's reputation as a world power a peer power to America and Europe.
0: Yeah, and they would bring Asia to the table as the mm-hmm. sort of like master of Asia was yeah. their was their feeling. And 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 you know, I, I have to wonder if they actually believe this. I mean, they must actually feel deeply about that mission. And, and and what's interesting then is this notion that you know maybe Japanese in some sick way had a very like pan-ethnic racial feeling about the lack of Asian representation at the, at the, at the, uh, at the colonialist power uh, meeting rooms, you know, back in the day, like why can't Asia be a part of this, uh, uh, of this game, right? Like how come we can't uh, build a power as great as the uh, Brits or as the British empire or the Americans or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's very bizarre. I mean, the way that Japan, that, that I think Japan, Japan, thought about or or the japanese leadership thought about this i think is very strange because th- I, you know and it's and it's scary because i think to this day that faction truly does believe that the japanese empire was simply misunderstood and that it's a liberator it was actually liberating asia from the clutches of european colonialism
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that is a scary thought i think uh, yeah. that you know that that that's how and that they want to restore it. They want to restore this notion. And that they think there's still legs to it. That this is a viable path for Japan. Is to go back and be completely revised history around Japan. And you know, what I'm finding is that there's a lot of Americans who are on board with that mission. That they support Japan. You know, there is a cultural fascination and love for Japan in America that you and I have both picked up on. That I noticed after Abe's uh, assassination started coming out to say mourning his loss, calling him a hero, saying that he was a hero for being willing to stand up to the rest of Asia, that the rest of Asia needs to get over it, and that really Japan is the rightful owner and master of Asia. And that's, yeah, 100%. that's one hundred percent. That's just some fucking fascist shit because. I know that fascism is a really hard thing to define. And, you know, there's always this... Is it fascist? Is it not fasc- I I don't know. I, I'm not claiming to say that uh, this is the definition. But for me, I think this is generally, uh, for me, a good benchmark for what is fascism. It's not simply about uh, nationalism. And it's not simply about centralized power. And it's not even really just about militarization. I think more core to the issue of whether a country is fascist or whether a nation is fascist is the direction in history or that, that it's facing. Is it facing backwards in time or is it facing into the future? And I think that fascist countries are, I think, one of the key uh, characteristics is that they want to restore some revisionist idea of its former glorious past. That was true of Nazi Germany most definitely. And that is now true of Japan. And I think that it's also increasingly true of the United States. Well,
1: that fascism United- can be forward-looking as well. Um, like the rhetoric of uh, like Nazi Germany, right? Um, nominally forward-looking. That's a minor thats a minor quibble. For me, a, a working definition of fascism is... Uh, is if it's if the if the discourse is concerned over granting legitimacy to the right to rule right it's it's basically stacking a hierarchy here and saying this is the cutoff below which you do not have legitimacy to have standing on this conversation and above which you have the right to rule right so like what does it matter if a weeb says uh, says uh, like Japan should be the ruler of Asia? Doesn't really matter insofar as they are they are implicitly buying into this idea that there is a such a thing as a legitimate right to rule, and that Japan should be it. It's not. But it's not. Uh, it, it's not negotiating amongst equals. It's not. It's not lateral thinking. It's very hierarchical.
0: Well, yeah, but I think that that's more in that's of the that's of the issue of of whether some whether they're an imperial power, right? But I think that even a non-imperial power can be fascist, and Japan could have no real imperial ambitions as of yet to say, be, you know, actually redominate though, you know, all of Asia through, you know, through invasion and stuff like that. But the yeah. notion, oh, I'm not, we-
1: I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that's yep. that's correct. I'm just uh, simply saying like there are manifestations of fascism that can be forward-looking. Is all.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we're inherently forward-looking in that everyone understands we're going into the future, right? But I think it's the notion of restoring something lost that is that particularly true, yeah. fascistic, mm-hmm. versus the notion that we have to create, uh, you know, new things, new structures, new governing philosophies, new ideas. I think is this notion that there is a essential Japaneseness that's being uh, crushed. And that's being held back. And, you know, fuck it. We should not have to apologize for who we really are. We should no longer bridle ourselves. We should unbridle ourselves. We should uncork what makes us great. And that requires revision of history because the idea was that, you know, we were were unfairly painted by history. Mm -hmm. And we need to paint the correct picture of that again, you know. And I think that's happening in the United States, too. Yeah, I think the, I mean, this the is US why history don't.
1: becomes such a contested... The, history, the, the, the crafting and propagation of history and the raising of children, the culture that children are being brought up in, those are the two hot contested grounds. Uh, and you see that... At, at and then, like, a measure of societal, like, decay or, or disruption is how, is, how, uh, is how much conflict there is over both those things. We are high conflict. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think in the US, like, we cannot... Uh, we we we're doing the same thing. We keep we keep talking about how you know we've lost our former greatness, and either we want to you know restore America to some earlier point in time when America was like you know I mean obvious the obvious thing is make America great again. Um, but I think the liberals do it too with saying like we want to restore we want to have an FDR style liberal resurgence. Everything is in. By you know, in reference to the past, and I think the major political and social debates of the day in America are all about what point in history does this most resemble, and what point in history should we try and return to? Because I, I think there's almost no real discussion about how to actually move the country and the society forward from this point, right? Certain things are gonna have to be destroyed, certain things are gonna be have to be seen as outside the ambit of what is great. And what uh, you know what makes America great, and so the, the 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 push I think is to identify the things that are holding us back, and then destroying those things, and I think that's the part where fascism becomes very dangerous because it's like we're comparing ourselves to a past ideal, and imagining that the way forward is to just sort of like destroy those aspects of our society, whether it is a race of people that that has infiltrated us and sort of like. Uh, desecrated our purity, which we talk about a ton in the U S. Uh, and Japan has always been extremely protective of their racial purity. And I think that that's why Japan's barely hidden fascism in this regard, it's desire to restore the monarchy, which is the, uh, explicit goal of the Nippon Nippon Kaigi to sort of go back to this imperial past without apologies inspires a lot of white nationalists and fascists in America which is why I think Steve Bannon called Abe Trump before Trump he was the Trump before there was Trump and he openly admires Japan and then you have David Frum openly admiring Japan so I think that I don't know there's just something about japan's well
1: i know i think uh, i think trump and from are responding to different things
0: they are but i think but i think think... that under underlying it i think is a deep sort of admiration for the the type of culture and type of politician that is taking us taking them back in that direction
1: that feels correct and the thing that makes it positive, uh, like this, like everything we just said right now is what the press is insisting China wants to do. Right. That's the, the difference there is that we have granted Japan uh, respect and legitimacy dating all the way back from this is still just shit that hasn't really changed all that much since like 1830. In Japan, U.S. relations hello Yeah okay so uh, what's the difference there like everything you just said about what Japan wants what they openly say they want to do is what we keep saying China' is doing that they're making all these military moves in the area they're trying to dominate Asia they're trying to rule Asia and subjugate everyone in it right Yeah what's that difference there?
0: What do you mean by by whose standard like you mean from the Americans perspective or from, from the, the Americans
1: perspective yeah
0: what is the difference between Japan and China? yeah well i think the difference is that china is a truly sovereign state and the u.s was was never able to conquer it and we want to subjugate china and make them listen to us and respect our authority basically yeah i
1: think that's true um but see like uh, but we give that credit to a country that is far more willing to play ball under Abe's tenure. They're even more dependent on the us and less capable as an independent power.
0: Japan is you mean
1: Japan is yeah,
0: yeah, I think that that's part of why we don't have any like sort of official uh, I think there's two levels right there's we don't we we are officially closely aligned with them. And so we don't talk about the negative aspects of Japan. We don't criticize Japan. We help them propagate a very soft and modern image of Japan, which makes them palatable for America as a very culturally uh, proximate country, which is ridiculous. The, the The notion that Japan is culturally proximate to the United States is, is ridiculous. But we, I think, have really push that idea, that's one thing. So there's no official obstacles standing in the way of like national interests, in say. But I think the other aspect of it is that the Japan being uh, so different from the US, in fact, makes a lot of people in America wish that we were a lot more like Japan. Because I think Japan has retained a lot of things that I think white America, which itself, I'm not even sure ever existed in the way that we conceive of it, but that we wish or they wish that America could become more like Japan, that there is a, uh, that there is a deep uh, respect and admiration for the ethno-nationalist core uh of japan society you know it's like it's just the opposite of the u.s in that sense where we're like just an incredibly like we're i don't know about now but we have long been the largest destination for global immigration and japan is famous for like not having any immigration <laughs> i know that's changed recently but they're it's extremely like the xenophobic
1: yeah they accepted mm-hmm. like 200 syrian refugees
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: They, they, yeah like like this is yeah they improved but that's like by 200 like japan yeah. look japan is so xenophobic mm-hmm. when they slam the gates shut for immigration their own citizens get shut out yeah. did you know about this you know when the when the when the uh the emperor i think one of the Meiji emperors i believe um he completely closed japan off um so nobody who was outside outside Japan when that order came through was allowed in so there were a lot of there were a lot of like like Japanese like warriors and and uh, uh, that actually got trapped in South America because they just could not go back home did you know about yeah. this?
2: That's um uh, like yeah.
1: yeah this is this is the kind of country japan is on the other hand, this is a country that has universal health care uh takes care of its elderly che- really cherishes deep social connection um has all the trappings uh, you know a better better all the trappings of uh like socialist paradise scandinavia right mm-hmm. the socialist countries that that the bernie stands uh always trot out it's a it's a it's a weird contradiction for american uh, white nationalist you know fascist sympathizers to openly uh to to espouse it makes me think that they don't actually know what the hell is going on right so i don't actually even take their their opinion seriously on this they don't know japan
0: what do you think they're missing about it
1: uh, I think it's a I think it's just projection. I think they're just projecting every every flaw that they see here onto this uh, onto this foreign country that's just foreign enough uh, that you can you can that there is a that there, you can be very comfortably ignorant about it, right? You're not gonna be challenged on that very very uh, hard. Um, it's more of a projection. I don't think it reflects Japan at all. I think it's more a reflection of what they see as going wrong in in their own. Uh, in their so you're own- saying Japan
0: is not xenophobic. It's just a, a white misunderstanding of Japan as a xenophobic. I country. think
1: no. I think it absolutely is. They're not missing the signal on that. But it's like like it. But like, um, it's like the the anime fashion pipeline, you know. Like, that's just considered a meme, right? Like some kid in the Midwest feels alienated, starts watching anime and suddenly becomes a giant like Japanese sympathizer and like a fascist sympathizer. Right? Are they really do they really understand Japan? No. They picked up on a on a loose signal. But are they are they really applying it in the correct way? My contention here is simply that I don't. I, America does not understand Japan. <laughs> no, I my- think
0: I, I I disagree. I think that there are aspects of Japan that, because the U.S. and Japan are so different, that mm-hmm. there is a mutual attraction between the two, because Japan itself is also deeply fascinated with America in a way that yeah. I think few other countries are, and I think America is deeply fascinated with Japan, and I think it's specifically because there is a sense that the other has something that it's missing. And I don't think they're necessarily wrong in that perception. Um, The way that Japan can just be sort of like openly proud of its history, and it's just sort of like blatant, just don't give a fuck attitude about revising its history, despite there being, you know, incontrovertible evidence of like Holocaust level genocide. They really just say, "I no, it didn't happen," or it's there. You're just doing. You're just saying that to smear Japan. And I do think that that open defiance of the the open defiance of the accusations leveled against Japan, despite the evidence, makes a lot of Americans wish that they could do that too, because America has. Its own struggles with that, in particular, uh, you know, older sins like slavery, uh, you know, and settler colonialism. Uh, But also now, like even now with uh, just sort of like the the unresolved racial problems in America, a lot of white people are just like, I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear about it. White people are the best thing. We we invented modern medicine, science, math. We invented fucking robots and airplanes and this and, you know, they're like a lot. You hear this a lot with commentators now going, aren't you sick of just hearing about how awful America is? What about all the great things we did? We're actually the greatest force in the world. We're actually liberators of the world. You know, I'm tired of hearing all these negative things about America. And I think that's exactly the attitude that Japan has, that Japanese right-wingers have taken but they're also the politically dominant force in japan and they're much more shameless about it than america they don't even put on airs that there would be like slavery didn't really happen if it did it was good for the slaves you know and
1: they got they got populations of people i mean the chinese too right like like i said in the country for like three four hundred years have not received citizenship there's no path for them to become citizens of japan yeah yeah, this is the kind of country Japan is. No, I agree yeah. with you one hundred percent. I just question the extent to which they actually understand uh, like Japanese history and all of this. And I'm, so I'm just wondering they they got to the right they got to the right understanding. I'm not sure exactly what's in the American like media sphere or ether that gets them to that point. Is what I'm is what I'm saying. Is anime that clear about this? Like I don't know where this is coming from. I know, like, there's. Been oh, I a, see where you're saying.
0: like. Where are they getting this from? Like, who's telling them? Yeah. that Japan is like this.
1: Like, you, you ask, you I mean, ask a, you ask a white guy who flies the Imperial Japanese flag and then bashes like, like Chinese and Korean people for talking about comfort women on Twitter. You ask them what a Zainichi Korean is. They probably wouldn't know.
0: I mean, I think that you know, I think that they do their homework, you know, and I think okay. that. I think they look at, you know, see what I think that Japan does for these weebs is that it blends uh, fascism with aesthetics. It makes it look cool, it makes it feel yeah. cool. Samurai culture feels cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think that the, the Japanese empire, the idea of it, feels cool because it's basically like the Nazis that you're still allowed to root for. <laughs> that, right? That's basically what it is. Yeah, that, that's yeah. my whole point here with the Nippon Kaigi is like, this is a straight up, I don't, this is a third Reich res- restoration party is what mm-hmm. they are. And, but they don't come with that baggage. You don't get canceled for being like, Hey, I support the LDP. I support Abe. I think Japan, you know, shouldn't have to apologize for things in the past. Why don't you just get over it? This was a long time ago. I think that, you know, China needs to get over it. Koreans need to get over it. They should have accepted the apology. Japan has already made amends. It doesn't need to do any more. I think it's time to move on, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: uh, well, to which to which I should say, I think that's complete bullshit, because if you look at both China and Korea, in many ways, both are moving on into the future at a much faster rate than Japan, which is a stagnant country. Uh, stagnant, you know, economically, of course, but also stagnant, I think uh, socially and culturally. Um, whereas if you look at, I've not been to Korea, but if you go to China, it's very clear that China is not stuck in the past. It's kind of hurtling into the future. Yeah,
1: so this same, accus- same with Korea,
0: same with Korea. And I think this ac- accusation that these grievances of China and South Korea over atrocities that have never been addressed, you know, I, from my perspective, I think that what that is about at its core is something much more than, you know, I don't think either China or South Korea wants revenge. I think they want the ability to renormalize relations with Japan so that people can move forward. Right. I think uh, China and Korea have
1: a much more realistic understanding of, of East Asia as a block, right? Asia as a whole, as a, as a whole East Asia as a block. Um, What's just, what's, what's been kind of funny about the, uh, the, 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 homages to Abe is un- under his uh, tenure as PM, Japan became the weakest it has ever been to yes. he- be able yes. to command East Asia.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> so giving him that, that post-mortem authority and dignity that he was the one to rally the, the East Asian tigers, restore stability. And, and, and that's, that's a complete lie.
0: Yeah, I mean, right in now- many ways, South Korea uh, really, really, Ate Japan's lunge when it came to high tech, you know, high tech industry and mm-hmm. manufacturing. Uh, South Korea is like way more dominant, like, let's say, in like uh, semiconductors and electronics like who buys yeah, sony stuff
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and in that in that fight we can't remove the us out of this how did japan start to falter the the asian financial crisis in 1997 what was what came prior to that a huge focus on japan as the next tech superpower and that's partly what this you know the japan that can say no sits on the Mm -hmm. assertion that that the world comes has come to rely on japanese technology and so therefore japan needs to leverage that and not be so limited in its trade dealings be willing to do things like trade with soviet union to use as a bargaining chip against the us pointing out that the like the shift in manufacturing to asia has left america uniquely vulnerable quality of american products have been falling technological superiority is fast slipping away this is a this is a thing written in 18, 1989 they're not exactly wrong on this mm. front right this book was slammed in the us press
0: and that's the contradiction i think of abe right because even though from you know gets his get uh you know pops a chubby thinking about how pro american and and whatever uh, anti china abe is i think he's i think a lot of these people are are i think very, very short-sighted. Because I think people like Abe actually present a greater challenge to the U.S. in the long term, and I think it's really dangerous for the U.S. to uh, support this kind of right winger. Because ultimately, I think it's isn't it? Don't you think that it's it's people like it's it's people like the Abe and the people in the far right who ultimately are the ones who you know, are most likely to, you know, kick the Americans out and reclaim those bases and uh pursue their own foreign policy independent of what the US wants them to do. I think there's a lot of resentment. It, it remember like when I mean I just think about Abe's face when Trump kept wouldn't let go of his hand. You know that's that sort of like hidden like I hate these fucking people, but you know, I hate the fact that I have to go and sort of kiss American ass and one day we won't have to do this anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: That's, that's partly why I brought up. I don't, this is why I don't like uh, the lens of, you know, Asians are lapdogs to, to the US, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of like, like, uh uh like, like communists, leftists will try to take on that line to kind of push on this. Uh, I don't think that's correct. I think uh, I, th- to the extent that Asia has westernized or ad- learned from the West, I think it's to serve fundamentally Asian purposes, not to serve fundamentally American or Western purposes. I think all that has to be taken into account here.
2: Yeah.
1: I think there is a very deep uh, I think the positive way to say this is that there is a deep pride and you know self-respect like a desire for advancement in Asia, right? That they were they, they put a tremendous amount of uh, of of uh of manpower to to um to fulfill and it's paying off massively, right? Um in the case of in, in the case of a Borderline fascist, uh, you know, sympathizing, you know, uh, political milieu like like Japan, this turns uh, this turns into just chauvinism. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think I think so. Um, um,
1: like 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 Japan can say no, right? A big mm-hmm. part of that book apparently is talking about how the Japanese race or the Japanese character is innately superior to Westerners slash white Americans. It just comes out and fucking says that.
0: Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, I went to go see an art exhibit uh, at the National Gallery in D.C., a uh, Japanese art exhibit, and they had like a painting of a Japanese scroll painting of uh, if I think it was like some British. Was it British or an American guy? And, you know, like one of those guys that had come over. Oh, I think it was actually Matthew Perry, uh, the the. Um, Ah. the uh you know the commodore (laughs) who brought (laughs) you know the the black ships and everything um and it was the most intentionally uh horrifying portrait you've ever seen i mean like they really try to paint this guy like look how fucking ugly these people are you know uh and the sort of like yeah the there really is. Uh, I don't know if it's caused by that history, whatever it is. But like going back to kind of we were touching on this earlier, I absolutely agree. I don't. I I think that Japanese are racist and condescending against Koreans and Chinese and all other Asians as inferior, but they they look down on us. They they. um I don't think there's a lot of hate. I think there's just a lot of like disrespect and you know, but they don't have a deep resentment mm-hmm. there. I think that real deep emotion for them lays with white Americans in particular and I think so. and what was done to if them. Really?
1: And- if we really got down to it, who is, who is a, then who is Nippon Kaiigi fighting? Then it's not China and and Korea that imposed a uh, that took away their military, that puts uh, that that wrote the constitution. You know, yeah. it's not it's it's not them. Those are minor characters in this. The real, if we really got down to it, uh, the the enemy that they're still going for is the U.S
0: yeah i mean i heard like in that interview the new yorker um actually nearing we're we're past an hour uh, maybe we this would be a good point to sort of set it down and say that we're going to continue this conversation just sort of like from this point on i think we're going to keep talking about the same subject um but we're going to move the rest of it to our patreon feed um so if you're interested in listening to it and you want to support us get access to the discord you go to patreon.com slash plan uh, link is in the show notes
2: Thank mm-hmm. you.